Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. I got a new phone uh, this summer because I dropped my phone and the screen broke off. And. Um, but as you know, if you have a phone for any uh, amount of time, a smartphone, every now and then you have to restart that thing, just clean it off. Because you're like, all my apps are closed, but this thing's just slow. Because there's just something happens through the, through the use of it that gums the thing up. Things are running that you didn't know were running. Things are going on in your phone that you don't even understand over time, and you just have to reset it. And this semester, what I hope that we can do in RUF for anyone that comes from any kind of background, religious or non thrilled that everyone's here, but particularly if you're here and you grew up in a religious environment, a Christian environment particularly, um, we would like to just sort of reset, what does it look like to have a life with God? How do we just sort of like just dump the phone and sort of start over again? And the way that we're doing that is we're looking at Jesus's conversations with different people uh, in Mark's gospel. And this is one of those passages, honestly, that I read and I thought to myself, uh, well, after we read it, I don't really know what else to say because it seems pretty clear. Um, and I think it sort of speaks for itself. But I think this passage can really help us to reset how we think about growing in our faith. Okay, If you're a person of faith, um, I think that if you're here and you know Jesus, you grew up in the church, you're like, I would like to grow and to somehow mature and progress, whatever that means, in the Christian faith. And this is a great passage to talk about doing just that. So I'm going to read it and we're going to dive in. So this is in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And I ask you to give your attention because this is God's word. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, uh, who were these religious leaders and a religious elite, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, this is God's words. I'm going to pray and ask him to bless it. Father, we thank you for your word. It is, it's clear. What else is there to be said, Lord Jesus, than you only can fix sick people and you're only valuable to sinners, to people that are in need, to people who haven't measured up in their own eyes or in the eyes of the world. Um, and Lord, that message is clear from here. But Lord, as we just consider it for a few minutes, um, would you help us to hear uh, and dig into it that we would see you, Lord Jesus, and that we would follow you um, no matter where we're coming from tonight. Lord, I thank you for every person that is here and ask that you would help us to hear your voice. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So there was a guy I knew once, and last I talked to him, he had driven away from the gas pump 
with the nozzle in the truck three times, okay? If you do it one time, okay, twice is even funny. Three times it's like, you know, like put some checks in place, man. You can't just... Thankfully, there's these cutoff things that when you drive away and you snatch the hose out, it doesn't spray gas and make a huge fire for everyone. Um, but he's driven off from the gas pump three times with the nozzle in the, in the truck. And uh, I've thought about that image so much because to me, I, I think that a lot of Christian people live like that, which is there is some outward sign uh, of being connected to the gas, as it were, um, but there's no actual meaningful connection to the source of the thing that's going to help you go, right? That, that uh, a, lot of, a lot of us as religious people um, have a lot of outward action as signs, the ways that we identify ourselves, but it doesn't seem or feel as if we're really connected to the source. And I think no matter what kind of background you're coming from tonight, every one of us is asking several questions, and one of them is, is growth and change really possible for me? Um, every time I've ever had a conversation with anybody in this room, one of the subtexts was, I would like to grow and change. Is that possible for me? And I think what Jesus is helping us to see in this passage tonight is the answer to that question is yes, if you're in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can grow and change. And as far as that beginning to transform the inside of your life, it's only when you're meaningfully connected to Jesus that I think you can actually have real transformative life change. And he does that as we follow him. And really the two things that stood out to me um, in this passage about what it looks like to grow in Jesus and to mature and to change is you got to do two things and that, that Levi, the person in this passage, does. And that is you have to come to a place of honesty about yourself and about God and that you have to leave everything else that you have to follow Jesus if you want to have that kind of life transformation. So you got to come to a place of honesty first about yourself. Namely, that you are not okay. okay. That everything isn't just fine. Okay, That's what you tell people when you don't know them and they ask how you're doing. Fine. Um, you have to come to a place of honesty that, that things are just not okay. Levi, and I'll explain what that means. Levi, who is also elsewhere called Matthew, He's in this passage. He's not a popular guy. He is living in Israel, which is run by the Roman Empire, who are oppressing the Jewish people. And uh, Levi, a, a Jewish guy, his job is to collect taxes for the Romans, right? It's like you're being oppressed by a government, and this is one of your own dudes, and he's collecting taxes from you to give to them. And since there's no real uh, checks and balances on it, he can kind of take whatever the market can, can bear and he gets rich off that. He is basically like the pharma bro of first century Israel. Um, you might not know who the pharma bro was. I, think, I don't know how to say his name. Martin Shkreli. He went to jail recently, and I'm like, amen. Um, but Martin Shkreli uh, got famous a couple of years ago for he has this uh, small pharmaceutical company, and he bought the manufacturing rights to a life saving um, drug and increased the price per pill from $13 to $750, okay? Because if you're dying, you got to get it, right? And you'll spend whatever you can. This doesn't really make him, everyone's like, what? Make, didn't make the dude super popular. This is basically what Levi was doing in Israel, is he was increasing 
uh, that thing, you know, like they depended on Rome for life and they were being oppressed by Rome and he was taking advantage of them, the pharma bro of Israel. So everyone hated Levi. Nobody liked this person. And he probably hated it himself because he was ethnically Jewish as well. And uh, he had a sense of selling out his own people, but he probably soothed himself with this recognition. Well, at least I'm making a ton of money in the process. So he's sitting there at his tax collecting booth and Jesus walks by and he simply just says to Levi, he says, follow me. No explanation, no promise of reward. He says, just, I want you to come after me. And he does. He was willing to follow Jesus, this person he did not know, because he recognized that he was in need. Because of the life that he was living outwardly, we would say that he was conspicuously screwed up in the culture, right? He he was not loved in the culture. Because of that, he was honest about his own need. That That he was dependent on someone else to change his circumstances. And if you can't come to a place where you're honest enough to admit that you're in need, that you as an individual don't have everything that you need to make it through life um, on your own, then you'll never come to Jesus. Uh, And I I don't know how many times any of us have heard that. That the only thing that is required of of an individual to come and have a life-transforming experience with Jesus and find freedom in him is to recognize that you need him, that things aren't okay on your own, that you are conspicuously in need. Jesus doesn't, as he says, call the righteous, but sinners, a healthy person doesn't need a doctor, only sick ones. And Jesus only comes for the sick ones. So you got to come to a place of honesty about that. And we'll unpack that a little bit more, but you've also got to come to a place of honesty about God. Uh, Levi had come to a place where he was realizing that what he was doing in his life and the, the way he was making sense of his place in the universe was not working for him. And he found something compelling in Jesus. And I can guarantee you that if what he got from Jesus was this, this dude is really going to crack the whip on me and he's going to tell me everything I'm doing wrong and he's going to shame me for it. I don't think he would have been super compelled to leave a wealthy lifestyle to go after Jesus, but he found something compelling in this person. And simply, you're never going to grow in Jesus unless there is something more compelling about Jesus than there is about the thing that you're building your existence on. Unless God is offering you something better than your current situation, there's no way to grow in Jesus. I've found one thing is for sure, that the only sure way for someone to get over a breakup is to meet somebody else. I know it sounds harsh, it sounds weird, but like I dated this girl for like three years and we broke up and I was just like devastating. And then like two weeks later I met Sarah Jane. And I was like, okay. Um, uh, There was something compelling about just being in her presence that allowed my heart to move from this this relationship that really was worthless in so many ways, not because of her, but because of me mostly, um, to move toward this person, there was something compelling about her. And could it be that what God is doing in your life this semester or tonight is showing you how much more beautiful life is with him than anywhere else? Because look, the scribes, the, the, the religious sort of elite and the rulers in this passage, they are not in an honest place, okay? 
They're not in an honest place about themselves. And they're not in an honest place about God. Um, And I I would say they're not in an honest place about God because I, I think the notion that God loves them in an unconditional way seems to make them very uncomfortable. This is why they have so many rules and regulations and ways of, of managing their relationship with God. A lot of people that I've known that grown up in the situations that a lot of y'all grew up in, see, because I have a different testimony than Jordan. I love his testimony when I grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in any of this. And so when I came to, to hear about Jesus, it was so compelling to me that God offered this unconditional kind of love. A lot of people that grew up in religious backgrounds are much more comfortable with God's wrath the fact that he will judge you, then we are comfortable with the fact that he accepts us as we are in our need. The the scribes are showing that. The love that they are withholding from their neighbors, namely tax collectors and sinners, shows how deeply dishonest they are about the fact that God is is loving. Uh, I was talking recently with with a friend um, who is a a student of color on our campus, and we were were talking about... um, what it's like to be in a class at Appalachian and just uh, hearing their experience. And they were saying that, um, you know, there's like a lot of talk and a lot of sense of like understanding the problem and pointing out the problem um, that, that, that uh, of race in a place like this campus or in, in America. But there's not like a lot of necessarily like quantifiable action, you know, to that. Um, and what, what that was stirring in, in, in me was this, this, this thought, and I, I'm the chief uh, center in this, is we can get pretty good at articulating a problem and thinking that the articulation of that problem is very beautiful, so much so that we miss the beauty of actually acting on seeing that problem being solved, right? Like there's a sense that like maybe around other people like ourselves it feels better to say, I can articulate the problem really well that feels more compelling than the actual beauty of like justice or reconciliation or seeing the things that are broken in our world receive hope and healing in the kingdom. Because I just think sometimes we, just, we, we love articulating the problem more than we um, love working toward a solution. And love isn't love when it's merely inward and reflective. Love finds its completion in relationship with another. And And what Jesus is offering to Levi in this moment is for Levi to follow him and to know him and to walk and live and breathe and eat and share life with the living manifestation that God loves people. He desperately loves people. When the scripture says that that God is love, it doesn't say that God is loving. It doesn't say that God does loving things, which of course he does. It says that his name is synonymous with love. And that love is an active love. So you've got to come to a place of honesty about yourself and an honesty, place of honesty about God. And I really only think that when we begin to see that God loves us and longs to be with us, can we come to that place of honesty. And I think that's so much of what Jordan was articulating to say, I found love in these people. There, there must be a God who his nature is love if I can experience that even in the midst of my doubts. So you've got to come to a place of honesty, but you've also, what Jesus is showing us, you have to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Levi left everything to go after this person. 
the scribes, the most conservative fundamentalist religious people imaginable almost in this passage, they believed that they had left everything behind to follow God. They believed that by not participating in the things of the world, that they were actually following God, but they actually had way too much to lose to follow Jesus. They had their pride that they would have to leave. They had their dignity in the community that they would have to leave. And most importantly, and this is where I really hope that God will speak to us in this, they had control over their lives and God. Some of us do not feel like we have very much control over our morality and the way that things that we do with our body. And some of us are actually really good at controlling those things. Um, they felt like they had their, their relationship with God on lock. They thought, if I, if I do these things, then I'm good. And God loves me. If I do these other things, I'm bad. And God can't and won't love me. And maybe that's your relationship. Maybe that's what, how you've grown up with, with, with God and this notion of who God is. Um, and the subtext there is, I control my relationship with God. He does what I ask. Because look at what I've done. That's not good news. The good news is that God has done everything for you. Now you get to respond in in a a certain way. And it's a good thing. um, Like like when we think about I, I control my relationship with God based on how I live. It's a good thing because he won't really love me unless I'm good. He won't be for me unless I am good. And, and a question just to, to, to diagnose and to probe in this a little bit, and I don't want to be like overly intense, but um, how do you cope with being out of control? Um, like when people criticize you or you fail at something, those are the two times where I think we feel the most out of control. Um, because like, I'm like, I can't like literally control your impression of me right now. It's, it's a way, it's apart from me, or I fail. What do you tell yourself in that moment? It, it's a beautiful thing to recognize. Like when, when you fail or someone criticizes you and you go inside, you go, well, at least I, whatever that thing is, is the thing that is keeping you from finding life and freedom in Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing to ask that question because when you can acknowledge it to him out loud, you can begin to move away from it. If you want to grow in freedom with Jesus, you've got to stop trying to manage your relationship with God based on the things that you do. It will always kill you. Uh, You've got to stop trying to manage other people's expectations of who you're going to be. You know that that's death. I've been on Instagram two seconds enough to know that that's death, right? And it smells like death and it feels like death, but it's controllable. You've got to stop trying to manage other people's expectations. Anything that atones for your inadequacy other than Jesus is too small. And it's going to leave you wanting Like, see, I'm not having sex. But if I do, it's probably with the opposite sex. So it's cool. It's not like that, right? And that thing is the thing that is keeping you from finding true life and restoration. And Jesus's, you know, I think call to us tonight is just stop. Just stop. He really is calling you to rest. But you've got to look at him because he's the only thing that's beautiful or powerful or good enough um, to give you freedom. There's this beautiful story of, of one of Jesus's friends, Peter, and Jesus is out walking on water, casual. And, um, and Peter is like, I want to be out there doing that with you. 
And so he's like, come on, you know, the water is fine. And, uh, and, and Peter walks out there and there's this beautiful moment where he starts to sink because he, he starts looking at what he's doing. And he, ta- he, he diverts his gaze from Jesus and he starts to sink because it's only when we see Jesus and what he has done and what he offers that we will have any freedom to come after him. I was listening to the story the other day about the, the people that were on the Apollo 8 mission, which was the first like, uh, mission that went to the moon, uh, the American mission, I guess, that went to the moon. And it was just really funny because the guy, one of the guys that was on there, he was like, yeah, it's pretty boring. Um, you know, people are like, I want to go to space. If I could do one thing, I'd go to space. And he was like, I didn't really want to go to space. I wanted to fly airplanes. I was a good pilot, so they put me on there. He was like, it was pretty boring and cramped most of the time. And he was like, when they were going around the moon, and all, all the guys on there, and they were taking pictures of the moon. No one had been to the moon before. It's like pretty impressive. Um, but the moon's a little boring. And uh, they're there. They're literally at the moon, and they're taking pictures, and they're not really amazed until they catch this glimpse going around the moon of the earth actually rising on the other side of the moon. And that is the thing that makes them just go, oh, wow, like, the moon sucks. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> The moon is lame. Like, the moon is, like, dark and dusty and, like, boring. But that thing, oh, wow. Like, that's worth snapping a picture of. And if you've ever seen a picture like the, the, the Earthrise picture, that's a picture they took on that mission. And G- Levi gave up everything that he had to follow Jesus, his career, his wealth, identity. But what he got was Jesus. What he got was closeness with the one who said, if anyone comes to me, I will, give, I will make streams of living water flow out of them. And Jesus is the only person that can take you from darkness to light and from death to life and from chains to freedom. But the, the way that you can absolutely ensure that that will not happen is to insist that you have to be in control. To insist that it comes on your terms. There's one thing that's true about Hogwarts. It is that anyone at Hogwarts who asks for help will be given help. We all understand this, yes. Um, Hogwarts, just one day, if you're a Harry Potter person, just consider all the beautiful ways that Hogwarts is like a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And uh, I promise you that you won't be let down. But anyone who asks for help at Hogwarts will be given help. And that's because Dumbledore, who runs the joint, loves people. Like, he loves his students. And he's like... You're escaping a world that's infinitely more boring to come into this place, and I care about how you develop and grow in it. And so you can always ask for help, but the only way you're going to get it is to ask. And my hunch, um, to bring this thing kind of down for a landing, um, what I'm basically telling you is that if you want to grow in Jesus, you have to look at Jesus and be close to Jesus and press into Jesus. My hunch is that most of us, if we could choose that or God take away me looking at porn or God take away my body image issues or God take away my awkwardness or my sense of inadequacy, if like he would just take that stuff away, but I wouldn't get Jesus, like I would probably be content with that. Because the thing that I want is just my ideal self. And Jesus is offering you true and meaningful new life and freedom, and it would be really nice to be free from such things. And this is going to sound weird, 
it may be the case that God is leaving that very thing that you hate in your life in your life because he wants you to see, to remain dependent on him and find life in him. Um, Because he loves you and your health and your growth more than you hate that thing about yourself. Um, Life without the things that we don't like is nowhere near as good as life with Jesus. Um, and, And I think that is good news. Growing in grace, maturing in Jesus, isn't sinning less, but delighting in Jesus more. And seeing that he is beautiful more. You know this in every single relationship that you are with, that you are in. That the way you grow in that relationship isn't just doing more of the things that you think that makes that person happy, but in being with that person. And the more that you delight in Jesus, the more that things of this earth, the things that God says will destroy us, the things that we call sin, will seem worthless. Because they'll only look worthless when we're with Jesus. And take heart, he is going to do it. It's not passive. It's a following after Jesus. And I'll I'll close with this. Levi got up, he followed Jesus. It was active, but it was because he was drawn to something in Jesus and he was finding rest and hope and freedom in this person. And the way that that worked itself out in the most conspicuous and obvious way that I can tell that that was for real is that he invited other conspicuously screwed up people into it. He threw a feast at his house And he had Jesus over for dinner and the religious people come over and they're like, you can't eat with these people. These are bad people. Like, hey, Jesus, I know you're a good dude. Like, these are bad people. You're not supposed to eat with them. The scribes could not do that because they couldn't bear to lower themselves to these people. Can't you just feel the slavery in that? It's because they weren't free. They had to settle for a click instead of a life-giving community where everyone can come in and find life in Jesus. And who you allow into your world is maybe the best indicator of whether this stuff has become real to you or not, or Jesus is beautiful to you or not. Being a Christian um, is kind of like playing Marco Polo, um, the game. Uh, <clears throat> you played Marco Polo, Yes. Uh, you close your eyes in the pool. I mean, the one person closes their eye in the pool. Probably the only time you should close your eyes in the pool, by the way, if you're the person in Marco Polo. And uh, you say Marco, and they say, and they say Polo, right? And uh, following Jesus is like being it in Marco Polo. And that is you are in a place that's very uncomfortable that you don't quite can control. But when you call out, you can hear his voice. <laughs> And you can move toward it. And you may get into a very uncomfortable place as Jesus calls you. You might get to a place where you can't touch the bottom. Away from where you might naturally want to be. But he's there. And repentance, and that's what all this is about. Growing, growing in grace, you know. It's about this word that we call repentance. And it's turning from something other than Jesus to Jesus. And you can only do that if you will listen to his voice. Only when you can hear his voice will you, will you turn from that natural tendency to him and know that you can be safe because it's in the direction of Jesus. To grow, you just have to go to Jesus and he'll make everything else seem worthless. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to open this 
scripture. And uh, Lord, it just, it really feels like to me, I'm, I'm expressing something that was already well enough said by reading the passage. And um, Lord, you know everyone's heart in here. And you know how we need to hear this message that Jesus is enough for us and being dependent on him is the most beautiful and freeing thing that we can imagine. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would meet us in that, that you would teach that to our hearts, no matter where we are tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name.